Boom. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to episode 87, part two. This is my interview with Coach Mike Christensen. Uh, last week, we had an awesome discussion with him. We split it into two episodes because it had so much information in there that I wanted to make sure that you guys stayed focused on both episodes, So, or so both parts of episode 87. So in the first uh, part of this episode, we learned about Coach Mike's playing career, um, how he got started into football, played through his college days, and made that transition into coaching. And if you haven't listened to part one, make sure to go back and listen to it right now before you jump into part two, because you're going to hear about his experiences as he went through the coaching realm. And we finished off part one with him talking about his entire time with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under John Gruden when they won the Super Bowl. So you got to hear about the hours and the demand that you know went into coaching. So what we're going to do here is we're going to we cut off af- right after he mentioned you know his whole coaching time there in Tampa Bay, and we're going to get back into the interview, jump right back into it right after he finished talking about his, his experience at Tampa Bay. So we're going to learn a lot of uh, a lot of additional information today about Coach Mike and his coaching career. We're going to learn about coaching, period, like what it's like to coach, the sacrifices that are needed. We're also going to hear about, you know, how he coached under Jim Harbaugh, and we're going to hear about his days in radio because that's, like I said in the first episode, that's how I first heard about Coach Mike was actually on ESPN Boise. So make sure you guys check this out. Listen in. Uh, we're going to start where we left off, so I'll give it a five-second pause, and we'll get right back into the interview episode 87 part two with coach mike christensen i kind of wanted to uh, you know branch off of that you mentioned the hours you put in and all the work and the hustle it's behind the scenes really i mean us football fans we we have an understanding of what coaches do if we've played for a coach but at that level you're competing at the highest level and even when you're competing at the highest level you're competing for a championship at the highest level which is another you know tier on the system and that's a huge huge sacrifice to, to be putting in that many hours, you know, and, and grinding that much, um, especially if you have a family. So I kind of wanted to talk about the stresses of coaching is how it impacts the family and, and what you kind of have to do. If, you, if I'm a coach, um, Mike, and I, I'm looking to, you know, get into that profession. And let's say I'm a the student assistant, like you started off at, and I need to get my mindset right. What should I know about the stresses of coaching? Like, what's your two biggest stresses that you face? And then what's maybe the, the two biggest benefits of coaching that you've experienced? Well, in this day and age, if you're the student assistant or the QC or the GA or whatever, don't get married and don't have a family because it's not, it's not conducive to those kinds of things. Uh, I'll never forget this. Well, I was sitting in my office now. Remember now, we're, we're getting ready to play the playoffs. It's, it's the, uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, we got, I think we were playing the Chicago Bears in Illinois last game of the year. I'm sitting in my office. I got ESPN on and they're talking about who's going to get the first round draft pick between, I think it was San Diego and, and, uh, and maybe it was Cleveland. It was probably Cleveland. It's always Cleveland, right? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, they were sitting there talking about what they were playing for. And I'm just sitting there and thinking to myself, and this is nine o'clock on a Wednesday night on Christmas Eve. And I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes. And I'm just finishing up and I'm getting ready to get out of there. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys, these guys are absolutely sitting in their office grinding to try not be that team that winds up in last place in the National Football League on Christmas Eve. And how hard it was for me to be there as a coach, you know, coaching the offensive line at Tampa, but sitting there and thinking to myself, and I got two boys at home. It's Christmas Eve, and I'm not even there yet at nine o'clock. And but the only thing that even even made that tolerable at all was the fact that I knew that we had one game 
then we were getting a first-round bye, and then we were going to go into the playoffs. And we were going to get a bonus, and we were going to keep playing, and we are doing all that stuff. But for those guys, I'm thinking to myself, man, that just must absolutely suck. You're in your office on Christmas Eve. And then the next day, I mean, listen, we had a game to play. So John gave us as much time off in the morning as he could, but he wanted everybody in the office by 11 a.m. So it's the first and only time I've ever set the alarm uh, for Christmas morning to make sure the kids were up so they had plenty of time to open their gifts. Uh, and I'm sitting there looking at my wife at about 10 o'clock in the morning, and the kids, are they've got everything open, and they just want to play, and they want Dad to play with them. And at the time, both my kids were – they were about eight and uh, eight and uh, three, and so they they were ready to go. They were they were ready to have some dad time and have me put batteries in the toys and all that stuff. And I had to get up and leave, and I had to go work the rest of the day, and uh, that was tough. That was really tough, and it made me wonder, you know, whether or not the NFL was the job for me, and whether or not that's what I wanted to do. But you know, the love of the game and all that stuff, and having a great family and a great wife that understands. You know, my wife was a college volleyball player at, at Concordia University and so she understood the you know what goes into it uh and, and you know being married as long as I've been married for 30 32 plus years and she's seen the growth she's seen it she's seen it when my first job I didn't get paid anything my first year at Portland State I didn't get paid a dime I just coached football and uh, so she knew that right she knew those struggles and and uh you know what they took and all the stuff to get to where we wanted to be and so recognizing that here you are at the pinnacle of your career. You have a chance to win, go and coach in a Super Bowl. I mean, listen, Bill Muir, the, the offensive coordinator for us, hadn't been to the playoffs in 25 years of coaching in the National Football League. In 25 years, he never made a playoff game. And here we are, my first year going from college to the pros. We had about three or four coaches on our staff in that same role that – our first year, we're actually going to coach in a Super Bowl, and we have a chance to win. So there's a lot of luck involved in that stuff. There's a lot of hard work and a lot of grinding, a lot of time and, and, and energy and sacrifice. But for me, the hardest part was you know, sacrificing those moments because it's a long season in the National Football League. Again, 23 games, right, in 20, 26 weeks. Uh, so that's a long time to be doing one thing and where you're working those 20-hour days. And, you know, and people, when I was in Nebraska, I used to speak to the Elks Club every Thursday. And people were stunned when I told them how many hours go into a coach and how he prepares for a game and all that stuff. They just thought it was an 8-to-5 job. They had no clue. So the sacrifice of time is probably the biggest regret, and and I know that every coach has it, especially if you have a family, especially if, if you have a wife. It's hard. It's hard on families, hard on wives, and you have to learn how to manage those things and realize what's most important, right? Your faith, your family, and football, and if you put them in those order, in that order, and you live by that, you can be successful. If you don't, uh, and you put one above the other, knowing that the other one's more important, it's probably going to struggle. Now, I would say the the best accomplishment, uh, really, was uh, obviously, you know, standing on that podium uh, two days after the game, or a day after the game, just realizing what you'd accomplished in such a short amount of time and realizing that all the work that I'd put into it to try to get to that point, because I didn't come from, you know, my family, my dad wasn't a football coach. He, you know, he didn't have that kind of background. I didn't have any lineage. There was no history in my, in my deal. I had to work and I had to, I had to, uh, basically network and I had to get to know, 
excuse me, get to know people that, you know, in the profession, in the industry, and, you know, get them to realize that, listen, I brought value, right? I had to work my way into those positions. And so standing there, that's when it really hit me. That's when it really hit me just how how much that I've been able to accomplish in really a, a short amount of time. Absolutely. It's such a, it's a cool story to hear, like from the beginning to the end and the the actual work that goes behind it, I just I find that so fascinating because the whole point of my podcast is to you know help people see sports through a different lens and, and truly just see that's not a bunch of dumb jocks. I mean, for yourself, you had so much like information to share with people. Not only were you a player, but you got to help young athletes. You got to use your education and your your knowledge with technology to to help the game as well. There's so much more that goes into it, as, and as well as the the hustle that goes into the work day. Um, and coach, to, to finish off, I, I mean, we know that you went through um, your your coaching career. You didn't end in Tampa, like you said. You went to Nebraska. Uh, you also got a coach with the 49ers as well, and Jim Harbaugh um, after a couple stints in other locations. And and I remember hearing about your time with Jim Harbaugh when you were on the radio yeah, with ESPN Boise. Um, and that's what actually drew me to you. And I kept you know, listening to you and I started researching your career and stuff because it was – it wasn't too long after you had been, you know, finished coaching um, when you, you were with ESPN Boise. So that's why it was really interesting to me um, to hear that. And it was cool to hear you on the radio because you always shared your coach's perspective and it always was like a very analytical discussion. And I love that piece of it. Um, Your radio career, what did you love about speaking on the radio about sports consistently? And and what do you intend on doing with the radio career moving forward? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. It's kind of funny because, uh, you know, I went from Tampa. I went. Ba- I went back to Oakland with with Bill his last year. Bill took me to Nebraska. Um, I met. That's when I met in Oakland. That's where I met Jim Harbaugh. Got to know Jim. I taught Jim how to draw on the computer, draw plays, and use the computer and the video system. Uh, so when Jim left, when we got fired in Oakland, and we we went to Nebraska, he went to the University of San Diego. Uh, just a quick synopsis, you know, to kind of lay out the groundwork here. But basically, Jim was, you know, he was. He was a, just an unbelievable guy. I mean, for a guy that played in the National Football League for as long as he did, uh, getting to know him and, you know, learning about him and what he wanted to accomplish was, was amazing. I mean, the guy played forever. Uh, he had played for some really good coaches, some really good programs. Uh, but now all of a sudden he went from that being a, basically a QC. He was an offensive QC, drew offensive plays from Mark Tressman. And uh, just watching him grow from being a player to a coach and what he wanted to do, I took a lot of philosophical things from Jim just as an assistant. But I went to Nebraska. Uh, from Nebraska, uh, Jim eventually uh, talked me into coming into San Diego with him. I went to San Diego with him. And then at some point, he got the Stanford job. Now, the Stanford job is one of those jobs where, man, as a coach, you look at and there's a lot of jobs like this across the country, right? You could talk about Kansas. You could talk about some other to Cleveland Browns. They're, they're career killers. And I'd seen Walt Harris. I'd seen uh, – heck, they fired Bill Walsh, for God's sakes, right? I mean, th- those are guys that got fired at Stanford. And so I was concerned that going to Stanford, it would be a struggle, and in two or three years we would be out of work. And I, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to move my family to California. California was hard enough to live in, in San Diego, let alone – in the Bay Area. So I said no. And uh, I kind of I took some time off. I came back and went into the, the technology side of things and did some other things, did some consulting, traveled around to different teams, did that kind of deal. Um, and, you know, just got to – did a little bit of radio back then, some spot stuff, you know, a lot of interviews, things like that. 
uh, and, and just kind of enjoyed it. Just I, I really kind of enjoyed it a lot. And I didn't enjoy the interviews with the coach because they always ask you the, they always most of the time they ask you the stupidest questions and you got to answer them. But uh, <clears throat> from then, when Bill or excuse me, when John, uh, uh, Jim got the head job at San Francisco, he called me on the phone. He says, "Listen," and this is after he won at Stanford. Obviously, so he proved me wrong. He said, listen, are you ready to come to San Francisco and win? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. And so that was a great experience. And working for Jim Harbaugh at San Francisco 49ers is one of the highlights of my life and my career. Yeah, that guy is, he's a blue-collar guy. And if you didn't know what he looked like and you didn't know what his name was, if he walked in your door, you'd think he was there to fix your sink. He looks like your average everyday plumber guy, right? And uh, that's what you would think. He's just a blue-collar, hard-working guy. And the thing that I appreciate about him so much is he allowed you to grow within your, your responsibility, right? I mean, I coached the running backs. Tom Rath and I double teamed the running backs. He, uh, I worked with the fullbacks and, 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 uh, and the older guys, and, 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 and Tom worked with some of the younger guys and the new guys coming in and stuff like that. So we got to work hand in hand, but, but Jim was, I mean, he was an integral part in just saying, hey, listen, I want you to grow at this. I want you to do what you need to do. And, and on top of that, he made me in charge of all the technology in the building. So, again, I got involved with helping the, the, the 49ers radio kind of deal, be involved in what we were doing on day-to-day operation and help them with their technology and stuff. We got to see that a little bit more. So at some point, when I saw the writing on the wall in San Francisco, when I saw Jed York and what he was planning to do, and and I could see it, I, I knew what their plan was. They wanted to get Jim out. They didn't see eye to eye, uh, which you know sometimes those owners think they know more than everybody else, and they usually don't. But I'd gotten to a point where you know we had still had our house in Nebraska. My family was kind of stuck back there. We were commuting back and forth. The housing market had crashed in 2000, 2008, whatever, so it hadn't quite rebounded yet. But in 2012, we, we finally got a chance to sell our house. Uh, so we did that, and this was right before we were heading into the Super Bowl uh, against uh, the Ravens. And uh, my wife said, listen, we need to get a house someplace where we just call it permanent home, and that's where we can go in, in between jobs or when you want to do something else or, or whatever. Uh, and so we kind of were shopping around a little bit, and we literally didn't find anything, Shane. Uh, well, we're going to live in San Francisco. We we're going to live in Ta- Lake Tahoe or Arizona. Where was this house going to be? You know, being from here – and I told her a lot of times that there was a, a time and a place that that in my life I wanted to be back home. And she's from San Pointano, which is up north, and I'm from God's country, which is down south. And so <laughs> she, 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 we'd battle back and forth, and we're literally uh, – our house is uh, in Nebraska is scheduled to close on February 28th. We are sitting in the hotel room in New Orleans on February 2nd, two days before the game, and we had no place to go. We didn't know where we were going to live. And finally she looked at me and she said – why don't we just get a house in Boise, Idaho? And I said, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. And so we did. And, and right after the, the, the game was over, I flew back here. I looked at a number of houses. She came out a few days later, looked at a, a few more, and we picked one, put an offer, I got it, sold our house in, in Nebraska, came here, uh, and it was a whirlwind move. But I commuted back and forth. So they were here. I was in San Francisco and went back and forth for another year. And at some point, I came home and I recognized that things that, uh, this is about a year later, things that were not unpacked were still sitting in the garage. My youngest son was getting ready to start high school. And uh, I could see the stress on her face. And I said, you know what? I got to do something else. I got to come home. It's been long enough. 25, 26 years. It's been long enough. 
And so I went in, I talked to Jim, because, again, I saw the writing on the wall. I saw what was coming down in San Francisco. I knew at some point they were going to run him out of town. So I did that. I, I, I retired, decided to come home, start a real, a real estate business, which I, I currently run today. But it wasn't a month after I'd been back here. Ian Johnson, the Boise State running back, you know, everybody knows Ian, the proposal guy, right? All right. Uh, Ian played for me at San Francisco uh, the, the year before. And so uh, Ian called me up on the phone. He said, hey, coach, I do a radio show over ESP in Boise, and uh, I'd love to have you on as a guest. I'm on every Friday. Will you come on? I'm like, sure, absolutely. Uh, so I did that with him, and it just it was just funny how it evolved. It really evolved from being a guest uh, to all of a sudden the the, the main uh, Rick Worthington and John Mallory, who were the hosts at the time. I think they called it the ball game uh, show. Uh, basically, uh, they would ask me to come on and all that stuff. And then pretty soon, I was bringing people from my Rolodex. And the, the thing that I liked about it is, now listen, I'm a sports junkie like everybody else. I love listening to podcasts and sports talk radio and all that stuff. But what I couldn't stand is. When you get the guys who don't know anything about the sport having opinions about something they know nothing about, right? And they, they base factual statements on just their opinions. They don't know, right? I mean, you can't tell me what the locker room was like for Colin Kaepernick at San Francisco if you're not in the locker room, right? But to listen to guys who used to drive me crazy like it does most listeners. So one of the things I wanted to do when I was on the show is I wanted to bring credibility to the station so that, you know, I would bring players on to talk about things that, you know, we're, we're in the news or something like that and get factual statements. I brought on Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh came on. I don't know if you remember the interview he did with Colin Coward. It was a disaster. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember it, I remember it full force, man. <laughs> I brought Jim Harbaugh on the station the very next day so that people in Boise, Idaho, could hear what really was going on and really what the issue was, not what Colin Coward was trying to make it out to be or why you know Jim was the way he was. And it was a great interview. I mean, Jim just he, he laid it out. He, he said, you know, what what upset him with the deal. And and calling you when you listen to the interview again after you listen to our interview, you can see all the things that he was saying and know that Colin Coward was just trying to evoke some kind of you know disagreement or some kind of you know action between him and, and, and Coach Harbaugh. And so those are the things that I want to do. I wanted to bring credibility. But the, the job, it, I just kind of fell into it, Shane. To be honest with you. I mean, I, I was I was a, uh, a guest at one point. Uh, Rick Worthington decided to move on to do the news, so he moved on to uh, KBOI here in town. And the uh, station manager at the time came and asked me, said, "Listen, do you want to be a full-time co-host?" And I'm here. I'm selling real estate on the side, and I said, "No, you know what? I can do this. Sure, why not?" So it became it became uh, uh, the uh, the breakdown with me and Johnny Mallory, and, and I just I loved it. I loved going into work. I loved going in with Johnny and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I love being around the guy. He's a guy that loves the game. Uh, he's an analytical guy, statistics guy, one of the things I'm not really keen on, but he's good at it, right? You could throw anything at him and he'd get it. And so we played really well off each other. Well, it just kind of evolved to where I w went from being the co-host to basically the program director for the station. I had to learn how to run a station. And, uh, again, my background wasn't in broadcast, but but I did it. And, uh you know, we, we turned that station into the number one station here in the Valley. We beat the uh, the, the, the opponents there for the first time in 30 years. And uh, we, we had a pretty good show going on. But eventually, like everything else, it, some things get to be too much and you have to refocus. And my business was suffering a little bit. I was doing a little bit too much on the radio side of things. And so 
uh, I had to step away, and, and plus Johnny had to move on for personal reasons as well. So some good things always come to an end at some point, and that was one of them. Uh, but it was a great, great career. It was a great uh, time in radio, and, you know, I, I miss it. There's days that uh, I really enjoy it. It's one of those things where my wife said to me, she said, listen, I, the first 30 days I was home, I'd been fishing more times in 30 days than I had in 30 years, right? And uh, at one point she said, you got to find something else to do. You can't just go fishing all the time. And uh, the, the, she, goes, she goes, I love football, but not as much as you, and so you need to find an outlet. And the radio station became an outlet for me to talk about the game, to talk about the things I love about the game, the players that I love, and then still make them part of you know my life and and the valley's life that was that was the goal is to bring listen there's not very many people that can call it the jim rome show in the treasure valley and actually get on the air and voice their opinion but when you have randy moss on or you have brian bosworth on or you have jim harbaugh on people in the valley can now hear that and then they can actually call in and they can give their opinion right and so that's that's what we wanted to do and it was very successful and uh do i miss it i miss it a lot i, I really do and so now i do a, a, an afternoon uh on Fridays with uh, Jeff Caves and Mike Prater over there on the ticket, and uh, I enjoy that a lot. Those are two great guys, and they've been doing it a long, long time, and it's uh, it's fun to get on the air a little bit with those guys, and, and then I continue to do the uh, uh, the uh, real estate stuff as well. So that's where I'm at, and uh, you know, building my business and my company, and and uh, also doing a little bit of radio when I can, and then helping guys like you whenever whenever you need it. Man, I, I appreciate you going into such detail with it because it shows us all, you know, it just shows us all how much work went behind even the radio stuff because you were running a side business, like your main business was your real estate and then you were doing the radio stuff too. Like, and that's why you could see it. it. It shined through with your work because we would listen to it as sports fans, pop that on and it was great. Your show with Johnny was amazing. Like everything, it was so good. Um, and I and I just it had its moments. I mean, it had its moments. Sometimes Johnny, I get into it and stuff like that. But that's again, that that was from you got the analytical guy, and then you got the guy who's actually did it, and and uh, from the other side of the deal, and the non-analytical. And so it, it played well. And uh, Johnny's great at what he does, and he he's got a show on the Grand now that uh, is really successful, and and he loves sports. He he loves talking about all that stuff, and. You know, for me, I, I don't mind talking about uh, a little bit of a little bit of football and and maybe a little bit of basketball, but I hate talking about baseball. That's not my <laughs> deal, right? So when we had to talk about baseball, you know, I, I, it was work for me. It was work and it was painful, but uh, no, we it was good. I mean, listen, I, I don't believe that people things people or things happen on accident. There's always a reason and. And uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, how you place yourself, who you get to know, and how you build those relationships. And, again, Ian Johnson is a huge reason why that ever happened for me. And uh, and then Rick and Johnny as well. Those guys taught me a lot of how to, you know, do interviews and be on the air and all that kind of stuff. And, and I appreciate those guys as well. But, again, I, I don't think things happen on, on accident. I think they happen for a reason. And, and I think mostly it's because of how you position yourself. And if you do it the right way, you're going to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, we're sad that ESPN Boise, uh, you know, they tried to make a resurrection comeback and, and they did a pretty good job, but 
they fell again and we're kind of sad that they're out but we're also glad to hear you that you know you're still making your mark on the radio still like you said with caves and prater uh with ktik the ticket so uh, we're actually doing an investigative piece uh, that will launch after this episode regarding espn boise's fall just kind of talking about how cbs sports kind of took that role with ktik and they embraced it here in the valley so uh, we have damon amendolara on the show as well he interviewed with me so it's going to be a cool opportunity but it's it's cool to hear your side because you were on espn boise during the glory days of espn boise because it was such a good show for us anyway so uh but we love caves and prater as well see that's the thing we love we love all sports talk here in the valley that's for sure yeah well one of the radio is one of those things it's it's you know it's a kind of a it's kind of a dying medium it's dying off nice and slow right i mean it's it's kind of just a slow painful painful death and uh you know people you only listen to your radio when you're in your car and, and people don't spend a whole lot of time in their car and so it's it's just one of those mediums where you look at it, you know, podcasts are taking over, right? It's so much easier to just download a podcast, listen to it whenever you want to. You can listen to it outside of your car, all that kind of good stuff where the radio stuff's a little bit more difficult. You have to make it, you have to do something to make it, uh, you know, make it like an event almost where people actually want to come and, and listen to it. And they, they want to make that time and that effort to come listen to your show, whether it's between, you know, three and six or two and four, whatever it is. They want to actually say, you know what, I'm in my office, I'm going to turn on the radio, I want to listen to the show. And so, you know, I think radio is one of those things where I mean, it's just it's going to be around for a while longer, but it's just it's just hard, right? It's hard work, and you know this by doing your own podcast. So, it's one of those things. But in the meantime, you know, listen, ESPN is is on a hiatus. I wouldn't say it's dead. Uh, there's some things uh, that I know about that we're working on in the background that uh, might bring it back. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. And in the meantime, you know, I got, I got like I said, I got that. I got uh, my. Uh, Real estate business, and then I got my nonprofit for my son, who's a juvenile diabetic. So lots of stuff for me to be busy with, Shane. That's awesome, Mike. And I, you know, I truly appreciate you joining us on the show and sharing your story. It's definitely interesting. It's going to be a huge hit for all of our listeners out there. And before we sign off, Mike, was there anything else that you'd like to, you know, throw out there before we, before we go? No, man. I appreciate you having me anytime, and uh, I'll be more than happy to, to come on with you anytime you need it. Awesome, sir. Well, I appreciate you. And for all the listeners out there, you know the drill. Go subscribe to the show, and we'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.